All right, we're back in the book of Philippians this morning, Philippians chapter number one. And we're going to continue our series, Rejoice in the Lord. And uh, Philippians chapter one, we'll be reading verses 12 through 12 through number 18. And if you would join me in standing as we read that passage together, (coughs) Philippians chapter one. Verse number twelve, verses twelve through thirteen. Um, what we'll do is I'll read verses twelve through down verse seventeen out loud by myself, and then why don't you join me on verse number eighteen? All right. So you got to pay attention. Okay. So here we go. Philippians chapter one, verse twelve. But I would that you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. And here we go, verse 18, ready, begin. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Amen. Thank you for helping me read that this morning. Let's pray together one more time. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this passage of scripture. Uh, Lord, help us to glean truths from this that we can apply to our lives. And we'll thank you for all you do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, Chippy, the parakeet, never saw it coming. One second, he was peacefully perched in his cage. The next moment, he was sucked in, washed up, and blown over. You see, the problems began when Chippy's owner decided to clean Chippy's cage with a vacuum cleaner. She removed the attachment from the end of the hose and stuck it into the cage. Well, the phone rang, and she turned to pick it up. She barely said hello when... Chippy got sucked in. The bird owner gasped, put down the phone, turned off the vacuum, and opened the bag. And there was Chippy, still alive, but stunned. Since the bird was covered with dust and soot, she grabbed him and uh, raced to the bathroom and turned on the faucet and held Chippy under the running water. Then realizing that Chippy was soaked and shivering, she did what any compassionate bird owner would do. She reached for the hairdryer and blasted the pet with hot air. Poor Chippy never knew what hit him. A few days after the trauma, the reporter who initially written about the event contacted Chippy's owner to see how the bird was recovering. Well, she replied, "Uh, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. He just sits there and stares. (laughs) It's hard not to see why. Sucked in, washed up, and blown over. That's enough to steal the song from the stoutest heart. 
And perhaps you, too, can relate to Chippy. Maybe you've been sucked in, washed up, and blown over as well. Well, the Apostle Paul can certainly relate to Chippy as well because he experienced uh, amazing tribulation and trials throughout his life. You know, the Apostle Paul had two driving forces in his life. First, to know Christ. And then, secondly, to make Him known. He wanted to get to know the one he would spend eternity with. And he wanted to bring as many people with him to that wonderful place called heaven. And yet, through it all, he experienced trials and sufferings like few men in history ever have. Today, we're going to look at the fact that during those seasons of suffering and of trial, Paul made the choice to rejoice. And, the, and the, what he rejoiced in was God's sovereignty. And so we're going to look at this passage of Scripture this morning and, and uh, look at four truths that hopefully will help us to do the same thing, to make the choice to rejoice in God's sovereignty. First of all, I want us to notice in the beginning part of this passage the prison of Paul. Verse number 12, he says, I, I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And so what he's sharing here is that the Philippian church had heard that Paul was indeed in prison. And uh, they were concerned, they were heartbroken for him. And uh, it would be like someone we really cared about as a church. We heard that they were placed in a prison for preaching the gospel of Christ. And certainly that would be a, a matter of church concern. And that was what was going on. And he was addressing them. And he said, look, I want you to understand that uh, where I am. And I want you to understand why I am where I am. Uh, keep your finger here in Philippians chapter number one. But flip back over to Acts chapter number 28. I want us to kind of see the story of how Paul was placed into prison uh, as he was writing this book to the Philippians. Acts chapter 8, 28 and verse number 11. Uh, it says here, uh, And after three months we departed in a ship of Alexandria, which had wintered in the isle whose sign was Castor and Pollux, and landing at Syracuse, we tarried there three days. And from thence we fetched a compass and came to uh, Rehagim, uh, Rehagim. And uh, after one day the south wind blew and came the next day to uh, that other place, and uh, where we where we found brethren and we desired to tarry them with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome. And from thence, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as uh, that place there and and the the three taverns whom. When, when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. And when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was suffered by himself to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. So here this is the record of uh, Paul kind of going to Rome, but he was kind of a, he was attached to another uh, soldier. And then it goes on down, and we could read through this whole passage. I would maybe encourage you to do that when you get a moment, but... Uh, verse number 30 here, it says, Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him. And so Paul here was in this under house arrest, and there was these uh, Roman soldiers that were assigned to guard him. 
And he did this, and he was in this scenario for two whole years. And this is the context of when Paul wrote the book of Philippians. And so they were, uh, he was addressing them because they had heard that he was put into a prison-type scenario, and, and he was explaining his situation. A couple uh, things I want to point out about this prison here. First of all, it was undeserved. This, uh, this prison that Paul was in, he, he didn't deserve to be in there. Now, obviously, when people go to prison in our day and age, typically and usually they go because they deserve it. Now, I'm sure that there have there are some, you know, you go to prison and say, I'm innocent, I'm innocent, I'm innocent, I didn't do it, I didn't do it. I'm sure that there are some people in prison right now who did not actually commit the crime, and maybe they were uh, framed or somehow uh, they, the police got the wrong guy. But by and large, I would assume that most, or I know that most people are indeed guilty and do deserve to be in prison. Well, and in the mind of the governmental leaders in Paul's day, they thought that Paul deserved to be in prison too. But according to Paul's testimony, this was not a prison that he deserved. He didn't do anything wrong. And if you still have your finger there in Acts chapter 28, uh, I'm going to read a couple verses here. Acts 28, verse number 17, or yeah, 17, and it came to pass that after three days, Paul called the chief of the Jews together. And when they were come together, he said unto them, Men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people or customs of our fathers, yet was I delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, would have let me go because there was no cause of death in me. So in other words, he's saying, look, I didn't deserve to be in these shackles. I don't deserve to be in these bonds. This prison that I'm in, this house arrest that I'm under, is not something that I deserved. Or maybe you are going through something right now, and maybe you say, I didn't deserve this. I don't deserve to be experiencing this particular trial, this particular prison that I'm in, so to speak. I, I don't deserve it. Well, this... Uh, this prison that Paul was in, it was undeserved, and it was also unexpected. Uh, Paul didn't expect to be in this situation. And this prison, many times, uh, is very much a picture of some of the trials that we go through in our lives as well. You know, it's no one kind of wakes up one morning going, I think I'm going to experience a trial today. I, I think I'm going to have a heartache come into my life today. I, I, I just have one of those feelings that I'm going to phone, get a phone call this throughout the day, and, and it's going to be some bad news. I just, I just have a, Most of the time, they come unexpectedly. Peter uh, addresses this, this comment, though, and for us to not be shocked, I, I'm sure that Paul was not shocked. It was not a big surprise to him, although he wasn't maybe expecting to be in prison. It still was not a shock to him, and and Peter tells us that we shouldn't be shocked either when we go through trials in our lives. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. Don't be shocked <laughs> when you do go through a trial, when you are going to walk through a valley. Don't go, well, I have never expected to go through something like this. You may not have expected it at that moment, but don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. John 16, 
33, Jesus said, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. So don't be shocked if it does come. I shouldn't say if, but when it comes into our lives. But be of good cheer, he says, I have overcome the world. Can I ask what, what prison you are in right now? Or maybe it's a health prison. Maybe you're going through some real difficult medical issues, and I know that there are some in our church who are. Maybe it's a financial prison. Maybe finances for you right now are tight, and you just don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, and it is discouraging, and you're in a financial prison. Maybe you're in a relational prison, and maybe there's some extended family member that you're at odds with, or they're at odds with you, and and you just don't see a way out. You don't see the relief in sight. Maybe you're in a relational prison. Maybe you're in a spiritual prison. There's some things in your relationship with God that you've been that God's been working in your life about, and you've not yet surrendered to Him, and you've not gotten the victory. And God's been working in your heart, and there's a spiritual tension in your life, and it's a prison. Or maybe it's work. <laughs> maybe you look at work, and it's a prison every day. You go to well, you work at a prison, so every day is going to prison for you, brother. But maybe it's your job, and it's like, man, I cannot stand this. This is difficult. can't stand my boss. They, we just don't get along. The other coworkers, I just, this is a prison to me. And maybe it's, you feel like, hey, this is not deserved. I don't deserve this. It's unexpected. I, I wasn't planning on this being a prison, and yet here it is. Maybe you can relate to the Apostle Paul. And so we see here first the, the prison of Paul. He was placed in a prison. It was undeserved and it was unexpected. But I want us to see, secondly, the perspective of Paul. Because his perspective is very important for us to notice. Look in uh, verse number 12 again. I, I, I would that you should understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places, and many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And notice Paul didn't say, I want you to understand what's happened to me, Life is terrible. I mean, this is horrible. I didn't do anything wrong. I wasn't expecting it, and, and here I am in this, uh, life is so unfair. That's not what the Word of God says, because that wasn't Paul's perspective. Uh, what was Paul focused on as he was in this prison? First of all, he was focused on the positives. He played the glad game. The glad game is, even when you're going through difficult things, you need to still be glad for some things. Uh, look at the, the things that Paul is glad for during his time in prison. At first, in verse number 12, he's thankful and grateful that the gospel was being furthered. He said in verse 12, the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel. He said, one of the great things that has happened because I've been in prison, is that the gospel is going forth. So he's playing the, the glad game. And then verse 13, he says, 
hey, by the way, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. In other words, be people in government were being saved. Why? How could that happen? Well, you got these Roman soldiers that are chained to the Apostle Paul, Mr. Soul Winner, for hours on end and probably uh, maybe an eight-hour shift. And so they have to be chained to the Apostle Paul for eight hours. Do you think that the Apostle Paul was shooting the breeze with these guys? Do you think he was talking sports? Do you think he was talking weather? Well, maybe a little. But you know what he eventually got to with each of those guards that was guarding him? He got right to the gospel. And uh, they were a captive audience because they had to be. (laughs) They had to listen because he was right there. Uh, Look in uh, Philippians 1 is right here, but go over to chapter 4, verse 22. Notice this here. He says, all the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. So there were saints in Caesar's household? How did that happen? Because these guards ended up getting saved, ended up probably telling other people about the gospel they heard from this strange guy named Paul. See, people in government were being saved, and and, uh, Paul was thinking, man, this isn't fun to be in prison, but I'm telling you, there are some good things happening. The gospel was being furthered. People in government were being saved. And then verse 14, back in chapter 1. Others were stepping up in Paul's absence. Verse 14, many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. I mean, when Paul was free to do as he wanted, everybody was kind of like, hey, we'll just sit back. I mean, he's the professional. He's the great apostle. He's the Mr. Missionary. We'll just kind of let him do everything because he's really good at it. And, uh, you know, I'm not near as good as Paul, so I'm just going to sit back and watch. Oh, Paul's in prison? Who's going to take his spot? What's going to happen? Is the work going to cease? Maybe I should do something about it. Maybe I should step up to the plate and preach the gospel. So people, one by one, started doing that in that church. Uh, we're gonna, I'm going to go and preach. I, I'm going to go and, and uh, visit churches, and I'm going to go and be a blessing. I'll never forget, we had a music director at our church in California, a very talented individual. Uh, he was kind of the backbone of the church for many, many years, decades even. And some things happened, and he was no longer in the church. We began looking around going, "Uh uh-oh, what is going to happen? I mean, this guy did everything. And he did a great job with it. What's going to happen? Is the work going to stop? What ended up happening was people, one by one, began to step up and fill the shoes. Now, it took a lot more people to fill his shoes than he did by himself. But it allowed others to get involved. It allowed others to step up and to, to get into the work. I know when we left California ourselves, that happened as well. Others had to step up. While it was not the ideal situation, there was some good that took place. And Paul recognized the positives when he was in a difficult situation. Can I encourage you, when you go through times of trial and difficulty, to not focus on the negatives? 
I know it's so easy to do because the pain is so real and it's all your brain can think about, but it requires some spiritual exercise to begin thinking and focusing on the positives. It's important for us in these times of difficulty to count our blessings and to name them one by one because, yes, even during trials, there are blessings that we can count. And Paul was doing that. And in fact, James encourages us to count it all joy when you fall into diverse blessings. That's not what he says, is it? Because it's easy and natural to count it all joy when you fall into blessings. When you get a financial windfall, boy, it's easy to count that joy. When, uh, when you get good news from the family, boy, it's easy to count it joy in those moments. But when you fall into diverse temptations or trials or try, uh, trying times, that's when it takes some spiritual maturity to count those times as joy. I remember talking with my brother-in-law back in Montana. I was on the phone with him, and I think we were talking about finances that we were struggling with. And, and he said, well, here's an opportunity for you to count it all joy. And I was like... I really didn't like that response. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't welcome that advice, but you know what? It was good advice at that moment. I needed to get the focus off of the problem and onto the positives. Luke chapter 6 and verse 22, there's an interesting passage that goes against the grain of our natural man. And these are the words of Christ in Luke chapter 6. He says, Blessed are ye when men shall hate you. That's not what we would normally... Those, those are contrary, aren't they? Happiness and people hating you? And yet that's what Jesus says, Blessed are ye when men shall hate you and when they shall separate you from their company and shall reproach you and cast you out, uh, cast your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. And then he says, Rejoice ye in that day. That's an odd thing to do when people begin to hate you or, and, and, and to put it in our vernacular, when people uh, pass over you for a promotion because you're one of those weird Christians that tries to live according to the Bible. Maybe a family member that doesn't really agree with your values. He says, rejoice ye in that day and leap for joy. Is that what you want to do? when you get overlooked for a promotion because you're a Christian? Yes! Praise the Lord. But that's exactly what Jesus says to do. He says, For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. Rejoice ye in that day. Look, when it came to Paul, when life gave him lemons, he made lemonade. But not just any lemonade, my friend. He made Chick-fil-A lemonade. And then he probably mixed it with some sweet tea from Chick-fil-A and made him an Arnold Palmer, which I had last night, praise the Lord. So when life gives you lemons, go to Chick-fil-A. That's, uh, that's the lesson here, okay? But the, he was focused on the positives, and I know it's easy to focus on the negatives when we're going through trials. God wants us to focus on the positives. But not only was Paul focused on the positives, he was also focused on the plan of God. He was focused on the fact that God had a plan in the trial. Now, this was no accident. This wasn't just uh, 
just doesn't happen for no reason at all. God was allowing this for a special reason. And Paul understood that God is the authority in charge and that he is always in control, even when there's times of trial and difficulty, even when he's in prison, that God is still at work and in charge and in control. See, Paul recognized the sovereignty of God in his imprisonment. And I want to encourage you to recognize the sovereignty of God in your trial that you're going through right now. That, that God is God didn't have like a, an oops moment when you went into this trial. God didn't say, oh, no, I, I forgot to take care of that part of their life. Oops, sorry about that. That wasn't God. He is always in control, and he was in control in your life when he allowed this trial to come into your life. Paul recognized that when it came to this prison situation he was in, and he told the Philippians, look, I am completely aware that God is at work. Now, this isn't something I would have necessarily chosen myself, but I'm okay with it because I know God has a plan and a purpose. Have you ever asked the question, why would God allow the Apostle Paul, the great missionary, to be put into prison? I mean, if God wanted the gospel to go out, wouldn't prison really hinder that from happening? I mean, wasn't he the greatest soul winner, so to speak, uh, in history? Why would God put him into prison? I mean, wouldn't Paul have been more effective if he had his freedom? Well, for starters, I wouldn't be preaching this message, and we wouldn't be challenged to learn these lessons if he wasn't in prison. I mean, for him to say, rejoice in the Lord, sitting on a yacht, sipping on an Arnold Palmer from Chick-fil-A, which would be weird to have on a yacht, but could happen. And he says, rejoice in the Lord. Yeah, easy for you to say, Paul, you're just sipping, you know, you're just enjoying life. But when he's in prison saying rejoice in the Lord, and, and he says rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, and we realize that he's in, under house arrest, chained to probably a mean Roman soldier. And that makes it a little bit more powerful. Look, we may never know in every detail why God allows us to go through trials, but we do need to know that he does indeed have a plan and a purpose for each trial that we go through. During those times, it's important for us to focus on that particular truth. Romans 8.28, I hope that you've been kind of thinking of this verse as we've been going through this. I hope God's brought this verse into your mind. And it says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. I like the, three, the, the first three words of that verse. And we know. Do you know that in the trial you're going through, that God will work all things together for good? Do you know that? Are you confident? Are you assured of that? I'm telling you, it's the truth. I think of uh, the Church of England who attempted to silence John Bunyan. He was a great preacher of many, 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 many centuries ago. They tried to silence him by placing him into a prison himself for preaching without a license. But yet it was during this imprisonment that he wrote the very famous book, Pilgrim's Progress. If he wasn't in prison, would he have written that book? Uh, we don't know the answer to that question. Probably not. 
It was during that time where he was able to think and able to write. Jim Elliott and Nate Saint were men who deeply wanted to reach the Aka Indians in South America for Jesus Christ. They wanted to get the gospel to them so desperately, and they uh, spent their lives trying to reach these people. Well, of course, the world was saddened to hear that these two men were murdered by these heathen. It was very tragic. But yet, as a result of their great faith, those people eventually did come to believe the gospel themselves. And by the way, their story of sacrifice continues to motivate Christian young people all over the world to surrender their lives to foreign missions as well. You say, well, why didn't God let them reach those people? God is God. I don't have all the ins and outs of why God does stuff. But I'm telling you, God does stuff through our trials. And he's able to do some great things. I think about Joseph in, back in the book of Genesis, who was mistreated by his brothers, how he was sold into slavery, falsely accused and put into prison. And there he was forgotten for many years. After a while in this prison, he was eventually let out and given great authority and power. After an ironic turn of events, he meets his brothers again after many decades. And here's what Joseph says to them at the end. As for you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass as this day to save much people alive. You see, Joseph was focused on the plan of God even during his great times of trial. And I want to encourage you, whatever trial you're going through, or if you're not in one now, not to be the bearer of bad news, but eventually you will be in a time of trial. When you are in those times of trial, I want to encourage you to be focused on the plan of God. Some of you may know the name Ron Hamilton. And if you don't know his name, maybe you know his other name, Patch the Pirate. Patch the Pirate and Ron Hamilton, well, Ron Hamilton and his family had a tremendous ministry of music for many, many years. And the reason that they have been so I guess successful is because of a great trial that Ron went through. He had cancer in one of his eyes, ended up having to wear a patch. And when children in his church saw him, they called him a pirate. And like, he just took on this name and this persona of Patch the Pirate. It was a few years after he had his eye removed from that cancer surgery that he wrote this song, and we've sung it a few times here at Cornerstone. God never moves without purpose or plan when trying his servant and molding a man. Give thanks to the Lord, though your testing seems long. In darkness he giveth a song. I could not see through the shadows ahead, so I looked at the cross of my Savior instead. I bowed to the will of the Master that day. Then peace came and tears fled away. Now I can see testing comes from above. God strengthens his children and purges in love. My father knows best and I trust in his care. Through purging more fruit I will bear. Oh, rejoice in the Lord. He makes no mistake. He knoweth the end of each path that I take. For when I am tried and purified, I shall come forth as gold. 
You know, Ron wrote that, and he knew what it meant to sing that song because he had to come to that point in his life where he experienced trial and knew that God had a purpose and a plan. And we can, many of us grew up, uh, many of the children in our churches, uh, in independent Baptist churches, have grown up with Patch the Pirate. God has used him in a mighty way. Had he not gone through that trial, I don't know that he would have had that type of a ministry. But God used him, and he had the right perspective. I want us to see thirdly, though, in this passage, quickly, the preaching of others. The preaching of others. Uh, We mentioned that others stood up and and stepped up to the plate and and, uh, was starting to preach in Paul's absence. And they thought, well, somebody's got to do it. And so people started doing that. Verse number 15. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife. Some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. I want us to see here, first of all, their ulterior motives. You know, some were preaching for the right reasons and others were preaching for the wrong reasons. Uh, He says here that they were preaching uh, for envy and strife, insinuating that there was some type of competition that these other preachers felt towards Paul. Uh, Paul was, he, he didn't have any, I don't think he had a competitive bone in his body when it came to this. He's like, let's get the gospel out. But there were others who said, Man, he has such a following. He, he has such, a, such an influence and, and, and popularity among everyone. And I want some of that too. And so when Paul was in prison, hey, this is my time to shine. And so I'm going to preach. And hopefully I'll start developing more followers on my Instagram and my Twitter account. You know, it's no different today. Uh, there unfortunately is competition among preachers. I would ask you to pray for me that I don't fall into that trap and that I stay focused on the main audience, and that is the Lord. But there are some preachers out there that do look at other preachers and how big is your church? How how popular is your influence? And uh, there were some that were preaching with that particular motive. There were some that were preaching with goodwill, he says in verse number 15, and some also of goodwill. Uh, These are the ones with the right motives, the right heart behind what they were doing. They were not trying to uh, outdo the Apostle Paul. They were not trying to uh, create their own following, create their own empire. They were really trying to get the gospel out. And then there were some in verse number 16 that preach of contention. They were hoping to add to Paul's affliction. They said, you know, if we keep preaching, maybe Paul will stay in prison because we're creating such an uproar that they'll want to keep Paul in prison. And that was their heart. Pretty sad. Um, Others were preaching of love in verse number 17. Uh, The other of love, knowing that I'm set for the defense of the gospel. Uh, They loved the Apostle Paul, and they felt like, man, it was my duty. God used the Apostle Paul in my life. Now I'm going to... Uh, be a blessing to him and carry on his work. See, they had the right motive, but there was others who had the wrong motives. So they had the, these ulterior motives, but then notice their ultimate mission. 
In verse number 18, the beginning, he says, What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, regardless of their, their motive, here's what was happening. Christ is preached. Ultimately, their mission was to preach Christ. Now, let me ask this question then. Do motives matter? Yes, they do matter. But God is able to use people even when they don't have the purest of motives. And you're like, well, just say that. I'll just say this. I'm thankful for that truth that God uses people when they don't have the purest of motives because I know there have been many times in my ministry when I didn't have the purest motives ever. And I'm grateful that my labor is not in vain in the Lord and that He knows my works. And I consider, as I consider all the churches in our area and all over the world, and while I would differ and disagree with some of the methods and philosophy of their ministries, I can be thankful that, like Paul, that they are preaching Christ. Dr. Harry Ironside told the story of walking through a park in Oakland, California, back in the day, and a woman was preaching there. And his friend said to him, Isn't it a shame that this woman here is preaching? Dr. Ironside said, actually, it's a shame that there's not some man to take her place. And that's the problem. Thank God that Christ is being preached. Now, don't worry, I'm not for women preachers. (laughs) The Bible is very clear on that. But here, someone is sincere, trying to preach the gospel, trying to preach Christ, and it's going forth. Now, I don't think it should be done in that way, but it's being done, and Paul said that. Now, please don't understand. I'm still strong on how and why we are to serve the Lord here at Cornerstone. I'm not trying to be wishy-washy and, and, uh, you know, hey, as long as people are getting saved, that's all that really matters. But I can be thankful that there are a whole host of churches, even in our area and all around the world, that are proclaiming Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, let me kind of swing back and and, uh, answer the balance here. The ends do not justify the means, even when it comes to preaching the gospel of Christ. In fact, I believe that many have taken this maybe passage here and, uh, and used it to justify their ungodly methods to reach people for Christ. We cannot forget what Paul mentioned before all of this in verse number 10. It says that ye may approve things that are excellent. We still have a responsibility to prove things that are excellent, make sure that our motives are correct, in line with Scripture, and pleasing to the Lord, especially when it comes to preaching the gospel. But Paul is kind of saying, look, this is happening and I have no control over it. I can't go and fix people's motives but ultimately, I'm glad that the gospel is being preached. I wish they had the right motives. I'm sure he did. But the gospel is being preached, and for that, he was thankful. A last thought here this, this morning, and we'll be finished, is the pattern of rejoicing. This is found in verse number 18 at the end of the verse. He says, Or in truth, Christ is preached, and in therein, and I therein do rejoice, and yea, yea and will rejoice. He was rejoicing. Was he rejoicing in his circumstances? No, he was not. And so I would say that our rejoicing should not be based on our circumstances. 
Our circumstances, of course, ebb and flow, and yet many people are basing their happiness and joy in these things that are constantly changing. Oh, finances are good, health is good, I'm happy. Finances are bad, health is bad, relationships in the family are bad, well, now I'm not rejoicing. See, God wants us to rejoice at all times, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Not just when things are going well, but always. I think about Solomon, who was a man who had all the best circumstances you could ever hope for. I mean, talk about the American dream. He had that and then some. He had position. He had power. He had the ability to snap his fingers, and several servants came and did whatever he wanted him to do. He had position, possessions to the, to the hilt. He had all kinds of wealth. I mean, talk about a full bank account. He had the fullest one that has ever been. He had pleasure. He had it all to the fullest, and yet he found that nothing under the sun can really satisfy. So he had all the best circumstances you could ever hope for. And yet he got to the end and still said, vanity is vanity, all is vanity. It's all empty. So if you're choosing to rejoice in your circumstances, it's not going to really last. It's not going to really satisfy. So don't base your rejoicing on your circumstances, but base your rejoicing on God's character. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6, I am the Lord and I change not. You see, the circumstances change every day, but God never does. And that's why you can rejoice in the Lord and His sovereignty. You say, well, I don't understand what God's doing. I, I, I get it. <laughs> I don't always understand what God's doing in the circumstances that I'm going through, but I'm, I'm telling you He's up to something good. Isaiah 55, 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Don't try to understand God. Just let Him be God and trust Him to do what he only He can do. So it's not just that we are to rejoice. It's also just important to know what, or rather I should say, who we are to rejoice in. Philippians 3.1, he later says in this book to the Philippians in, in verse 1 of chapter 3, Finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. You see, we're, we're rejoicing based on God's character. Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. See, Paul really was the great pattern of rejoicing for this church. He's rejoicing here in, in chapter 1 as he's writing this from a prison cell, or under house arrest, I should say, and, and, uh, and he's saying, look, this isn't exactly my favorite place to be, but I'm choosing to rejoice in this situation. But if you recall, if you go 10 years back in time, from when the book of Philippians was written to when the church of Philippi was founded there in Acts chapter 16. This wasn't the first time that Paul was in prison in their history because he was in prison there at the very beginning of the church, the foundation of that church. When Paul and Silas were put into prison for preaching the gospel there in Philippi. Verse 25 of Acts chapter 16, it says, And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and saying praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. 
So even there in that beginning time of the church, Paul was in prison and he was rejoicing in God's sovereignty in that prison cell. And now he's doing it again uh, as he's writing this book uh, there under house arrest. So Paul was a great example, a great pattern of rejoicing. Can I ask this question? What are you rejoicing in? Are you rejoicing in your changing circumstances or are you rejoicing in your unchanging Lord? I want to encourage you to place your faith in Him. Whether you are facing minor first world problems, which all of us face from time to time, the Wi-Fi is so slow here. My, the signal on my phone is terrible. I can't believe my wireless carrier is just not good in this particular area. I'm in a prison right now. I realize that all of us go through those times that are, that are difficult and the first world problems that we have, right? The power goes out for an hour and we're like panicking. Or if it's a real serious trial, like we get some serious news about our health. Or we hear about somebody in our family who just passed away. Whether you're going through something big, minor, or anywhere in between, can I encourage you to make the choice to rejoice in God's sovereignty. I'd like to just end by asking this question. Why would God allow bad things to happen to good people? I'm sure you've, been, you've heard that question before. Maybe you've asked that question. Well, I want to just submit one answer. I'm sure there's a lot of other ones. Number one, you know, why does, why does God allow... The, really, the best answer is... Why does God allow good things to happen to bad people? Because all of us are indeed bad people. And God is good to us. He makes the, uh, the, the sun to shine and the rain to come down on the good and the evil. But here's another answer. Because God can cause great good to come from even seemingly bad things. And really there was only one good person who has ever lived. Some great bad took place to him, didn't it? Consider the cross. I mean, things weren't going well. Jesus was being beaten by Roman soldiers. His beard was being plucked out of his face. He was given a crown of thorns in mockery. People were hurling insults at the innocent Savior. And where was God in all this? Was he taking a vacation? Was he too busy taking care of the rest of the universe that he forgot about his son? I mean, why was he allowing this to happen? Well, then these soldiers, of course, placed large spikes into the wrists of our dear Lord and then one through both feet, stapling his limbs to this rough wooden cross. And for six long, excruciating hours, Jesus hung between heaven and earth, suffering and living in tremendous pain. Things are not going well. Satan is rejoicing and God's enemies are celebrating. At three o'clock that afternoon, God let his own son die. Why? Where was God? God, you're in control. Why didn't you stop this from happening? Have you ever asked that question in your own life? God, why are you letting this happen to me? This is too much for me to bear. Well, we all know this, the rest of the story, don't we? 
We know the fact that Jesus died. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. Three days later, the story changes, doesn't it? Aren't you glad that it did? Because God knew that His Son had to die. His Son had to become the ultimate sacrifice. He was the Lamb that took our spot. He was the Lamb that needed to die for us and then rise again the third day. It had to happen. God had to let it happen. He knew that it, was, it, it, it had to happen in order for you and I to get saved. So that's why you let it happen. Why does God let you go through trials? I don't know all of the reasons, but God has a purpose. God has a plan, and He's good, and He knows what He's doing. Trust Him. Someone wrote this poem regarding God's sovereignty in trials. It's a short one, don't worry. Out of the darkness, out of the dark, forbidding soil, the pure white lilies grow. Out of the black and murky clouds descends the stainless snow. Out of the crawling earthbound worm, a butterfly is born. Out of the somber shrouded night, behold, a golden morn. Out of the pain and stress of life, the peace of God pours down. And out of the nails, the spear, the cross, redemption, and a crown. Look, difficult things are going to happen in our lives. And when they do, please make the choice to rejoice in God's sovereignty. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. Thank you, Lord, for Paul's perspective. When it came to the prison that he was experiencing, help us, Lord, to learn from his example, from his pattern of rejoicing. Help us to follow his example when we face our own trials, when we face our own difficulties. Lord, I want to pray for those in this room right now who are currently right now in a form of prison. Lord, I pray that you would help them to focus on the positives and focus on the plan of God in, in this situation. Lord, I know it's so tempting to get overwhelmed with the negatives of the trial. Lord, help them to keep their eyes on you during this time. Help them to be focused on the plan of God and your great character, that you are a good and great God and that you're not going to allow something like this to happen for no reason at all, but Lord, for the reason of accomplishing your plan. And I pray, Lord, that all of us, you would help us all to have that perspective when we go through trials. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.